0: We're starting a new series today called Transformation, and it's uh, Becoming Better Humans, and we'll talk a little bit about that in a moment. But I, for those of you that don't know, I grew up in a little place in the interior. Uh, I usually say in the cusp, but for the first 12 years of my life, uh, I grew up in a little, even smaller town called Burton. There were 300 people in that town. We lived on a small uh, kind of like a hobby farm. A hobby farm is for what it looks like when you don't live there. You think it's a hobby, and everybody else that lives there think it's hell. Like, I mean, just the kids growing up. you gotta row, You got to weed these rows before you go anywhere. you got to go feed this. you got to go take that out. you got to clean this out. And it's just an acre and a half, and truthfully, it was fantastic. We grew up loving it because we got to do all kinds of things that city kids have no idea about. Things like riding pigs. Have you ever tried it? Don't laugh at it. It's fun. Until you fall off the pig. Then it's not so fun because pigs make a mess. And we did things like we had a cow that had horns and you get up on that put some binder twine on that. If you don't know what binder twine is, google it. But and we would ride that old cow which is really bony and ride him. I mean anybody can ride a pony, but a Miller can ride a cow. That's right. We can do it. We had a crow One of my brothers got lowered over a cliff into a nest and stole a baby crow out of a nest because we were going to teach him to talk. But he didn't learn how to talk, and soon he just flew away. But that was the end of that. But growing up in a small town, one of the great things that I remember uh, is all that, which was fun. I mean, I could tell you story after story, but uh, my brothers will be angry at me if I tell them on it. But one of the things that I noted... Growing up is that very often people would just—it was called the drop-in. You would hear a knock at the door, or maybe not even a knock. You would hear your door swing open, and someone would say, "Coffee on." That's how it was. It's just the way it was. And some of you that have come from a uh, from other nations, uh, maybe in in Africa or in South uh, Southeast Asia, it's the same kind of a thing. Where just. There was such a a drop-in culture, and it didn't matter. There was no time to clean the Cheerios that had been on the floor since breakfast. You'd you'd hear a knock, and there was no scheduling an appointment several weeks in advance to find out a time on your schedule that worked. It was working right now because they were walking through the door. There was no hope. You, them, the mess, and the coffee. That's it. And my mom... uh, With six kids growing up, our house was sometimes, okay, it was most of the time a place of chaos. It was all, I mean, we didn't ever do what we're told in terms of cleaning up. So I can remember my mom going on our kitchen table and just putting her arm down and pushing stuff back to make a spot for somebody to have a cup of coffee. We just lived a different way. It was a drop-in culture. It was a welcoming culture. In fact, I remember one time somebody came to our house, kind of dropped in, and I said to him, I was probably eight, nine years old, I said, why are you here? And I thought it was a legitimate question. I was kind of confused. I didn't understand what was happening. And my mom said, okay, come here, Craig. And I went to the corner and she grabbed a hold of my ear and pulled me down the hallway and then boxed my ears and said, don't you ever talk like that to anybody who comes and drops into our house. Box your ears. Again, millennials, Google that. It's a time when your parents used to discipline you with their hand. I know it's illegal and all that kind of stuff now, but... It was a thing back then, okay, back when the earth was cooling when I was growing up (laughs) in the interior on a farm. But we, one thing, one value that came out of that was friendship, neighbors, connection, relationship was important. And it We sometimes in our culture, we think that that's confined to another day or another culture or another size of town. But it's actually a very biblical value. But the thing is, is that we, although we live in a different time with different demands and different schedules, I fear that we have lost something that is healthy for us as individuals, as families, and as a culture. It seems that we are losing the capacity to be good humans. CBC reported just recently that millennials, that's kind of the age 23 to 35 year olds in Vancouver, in greater Vancouver, a full third of them always or very often feel lonely or very lonely. Not just once in a while, always or very often. And, some, and when we look at our culture, we're somewhere between one in three or one in two marriages blow up and an, in, end in a divorce. But the stress doesn't stop there because then you have the awkward holidays where you're trying to figure out how and who and where they go and what goes and when it goes. Some studies also indicate that one in four of us have no close friends. And that loneliness is a source of all kinds of health and mental issues. Over the past few decades, for even people who have friends, it's gone down from instead of most people, it used to be had three close friends, most people now it's gone down to two close friends and declining further. In fact, uh, Pastor Daniel went to a, a, a whole workshop on our drug addiction crisis that's causing people to die at almost the rate of three a day in the Metro Vancouver, almost three a day. That's a real number, three people's sons and daughters that are dying, three a day. It should bother us. But they said that most of these people are not people that are dying on the street. They're people who are dying in homes, in basement suites, in places right around us, above us, below us, in our homes, and in our apartments. They have homes, but what they don't have is healthy relationships, and they feel all alone. And so they're dying alone because they feel alone. The Internet has made us more connected and less social. Social media has turned us inward where we become observers of relationship instead of participators in relationship. It gives the illusion of connection. Sure, it's good to keep up with distant friends, but we all need somebody to shake our hand, to give us a hug, to stand beside us, to walk with us, to say it's going to be all right in in difficult seasons, to say, I'm going to rejoice with you when you're rejoicing. But The internet and the very presence of technology can actually not just hinder our relationship, it hinders offline connection as well. There's been studies that have been done that they did with two strangers that they would uh, arrange to meet up. And get this, simply having a cell phone in view caused pairs of strangers just meeting up to rate their connection as less meaningful Their conversation partner is less empathetic and their new relationship is less close than strangers who met with just a plain old notebook sitting in the room. Wow, nobody's on the phone. It's just sitting there, less connected, less meaningful, less empathetic. Our social discourse has degenerated to new lows when people hide behind keyboards and will say things online that they would never say to someone's face terrible hateful things that you think oh my goodness there's no place to disagree there's no place to see things differently people are bullied and people are called out people who end up committing suicide because of difficult things like that that's the extreme but the 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 pull it back a lot, many of us no longer feel safe to say anything because of the dietary that we'll be success uh, uh, come under. And then there's just life where hurt people hurt people. You walk through life and you, you, you're just going to bump into people that are just like toxic waste dumps. They just come against you and they, they pass something on to you and you're like, who are you and what are you doing that to me for? And they just bah, spew out because it's inside of them and it's coming out of them. And we're all in various places of relational issues and we all can look good and smile right now and, and nobody might know. But I think if I sat with you and I asked a story or I dug a little bit just behind a, a question, I would find stories of painful betrayal. I would find ways that you're still struggling under an offensive word or maybe you a breakup of a relationship that you thought would last a long time and has disintegrated into nothing. Or I might hear stories of the deep wound of your adult child rejecting you or maybe the sickening cycle of abuse that happens at the hands of your spouse or maybe you have a friend who has abandoned you or someone who's sacrificing their morals attempting to find closeness in a illicit sexual relationship we do all kinds of things we look good and smile right now all cleaned up had a shower this morning but god said it's not good for us to be alone All those things that we walk through cause us to live often surface, often keeping people at a distance, often keeping people in some other place so that we can be safe and feel safe. But what it actually ends up doing is only isolating us, only causing us to to have more difficult issues, only causing us more relational issues, only causing us to have more health issues, more mental health issues, more physical health issues, because we haven't learned how to do life. And if God says it's not good for man to be alone, which he does say, guess what the enemy wants to make you do? Be alone. God says it's not good for you to be alone, so everything that the enemy does, and there's a real devil who hates you, wants to do things in your life to isolate you, to minimize you, to bring you into a small place so that you never experience the goodness of God, you never experience the plan of God, which is for you and is for a good life that God has in front of you. We get to the place where we believe the lie that isolation is acceptable that loneliness is the new normal, and that intimacy is futile. And I'm, I need to talk to introverts because I'm one of them where we actually think that because our world's so busy that it's okay to have no close relationships. Can I tell you, as I would speak to myself as well, that you need somebody in your life that will speak truth to you. You need somebody in your life that will pull you out of the pit. You need somebody in your life that will say, you can make it to another day that, that the treasure that's in you can't be hidden away in some cave of despair, that God wants to pull you out of it. I live there sometimes. It's easy for me to go there but I don't, I can't stay going there because God's plan for me involves people. Now, there's some people who love people way more than me. I love all the people, I just take small doses, okay? Like, I'm over here, and then Daniel and Mike are somewhere over here, teetering on the edge. They just love, and you can't, they have never met somebody that's a stranger. It's just a friend that they haven't got the name yet, and Daniel will forget the name, Pastor Mike will never forget the name, but they'll remember But sometimes we try and try to change and make our relationships better. And we might see a small shift for a little while, but suddenly we find ourselves back and things are back where they were and we're discouraged. Other times we just simply don't know what to do. We are stuck in a rut of bad decisions, strained relationships, and fractured families. And sometimes we believe that change is just beyond our control. We blame our upbringing. We blame our kids' actions for our uncontrolled uh, reactive anger. We blame the work environment for our negativity. We blame our spiteful reaction on our spouse's action. We do all kinds of things. It's been the history of humanity. We always want somebody else to be responsible for our actions. But actually, you're responsible for you. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. But what what if you and I could learn a new way to do life? What if we could see our lives transformed by becoming better humans. Is it possible? First, or In Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 and 2. I'm going to put it up on the screen right there. This is the Passion Translation. It says, Beloved friends, what should our proper response, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercy? I encourage you to surrender yourself to God, to be His sacred living sacrifices, and live in holiness, experiencing all that delights His heart for this becomes your genuine expression of worship. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, a satisfying life, a perfect life in His eyes. Discern God's will for your life. God's will for your life. Some of us think that God's will for our life is to help us to have no more fun, to make our lives miserable until one day we have to go to heaven and play a harp in some clouds and we don't even like singing. But that's not what, God, that's not what Paul is saying. He's saying that God's will as you live is a beautiful life, a satisfying life, a life that's perfect in his eyes. Incredible. Incredible. Now to get, when we're reading this, it's like chapter 12, it's like we're coming in halfway through a letter and we don't fully understand why Paul is saying what he's saying. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter and probably around 56 A.D., and uh, Paul had never been to the church, but here he was. He was speaking into some issues that were in the church. In the culture around them, the church was in relative peace. There was no persecution at that moment. Persecution would come later when Nero, who you read in history, would unleash all kinds of persecution against the church in around A.D. 62, so a long time ago. Now, this church was started by Jewish Christians who had ways of doing church. But in the, or not long after it was started, because there was a fight fighting among them, in the, the Jewish Christians, about who, who Jesus was or wasn't, the Romans actually threw them out of the city. And so the church began to take on the feeling and the culture of Gentile Christians. And now, here, about 10 years later, the Jewish Christians were coming back. The Gentile ones were there. The, Je- the Jewish Christians were coming back. And there was conflict because they didn't like the way church was anymore. You ever heard of that before? I can't imagine it. I don't know where that would ever happen. And there was conflict. See, the Gentiles tended to to emphasize just being saved. But they had difficulty just being given their life to Jesus. They said, we can do that. We're saved by faith. Thank you, Jesus. But they had difficulty living it out in their lives. The Jews, on the other hand, tended to emphasize what you look like, your actions on the outside. I look good on the outside, that's all that's important. And there was legalism and harshness and critiquing all the time with little inward life on the the inside. And so Paul is dealing with this, and he spends the first 11 chapters telling them all the things that, that you are about, that you're actually true for both sides. He says, he started with things that were generally true, both groups were sinners. Both had fallen short of God's glory or God's standard. Both were saved by grace. And that's key in all of this. In in chapter 1, he says this, the gospel moves us from receiving life through faith to something else, to the power of living by faith. So not just receiving life by faith and say, now I can go on. I've got my ticket to heaven. It doesn't matter what I do in my life. But Paul says the gospel gives us the power to receive life than the power to actually live a different life, live a better life, live a life that God always intended. So he's speaking to both sides in this story. So when he's speaking, he saying, yes, it's important that you give your life to Jesus, but it's equally important that you live your life for Jesus, that You don't live in what you used to live in, you live in a brand new life. Become a better human. Because I can tell you that most of us, no, all of us, when we give our life to Jesus, need to become better people. And now you'll just walk with me in a moment, some of you are getting nervous. Paul states a clear principle. He says he wants to emphasize the importance of faith, but he wants to emphasize also the importance of living your faith. And I think some of the great problems of the church is we have been great people of great belief, but often not very good on practice of what we believe. Kindness, gentleness, goodness. And the great charge, and it's often without merit, but sometimes we, it lands, is that the church is full of hypocrites. In other words, people who don't live out what they believe. It's not a new problem that Paul's addressing. And he comes, so in that context, he's saying it's good to have faith, but it's also important to live by faith. It's also important that your life is changed in a real way. And so he's saying to both sides in your relationship, the first thing that has to change is not everything around you, it's you. He says it's not about who you, what you want at the end, but he shows us that you don't have to live a fractured relationship. You don't have to live in contention. Look what it says. This will empower you to discern God's will, which is beautiful, which is satisfying, which is perfect in God's eyes. Another translation says you will know what God's will is for you, his good will, his pleasing will, his perfect will for you. And I love what the message translation says, that God brings the best out of you. Isn't that an incredible thought? That God wants to bring the best out of you. Everything that God does in your life is so that he can bring the best you to the table. He wants to bring the best you into your workplace. He wants the best you to be in your marriage. He wants the best you to be in your family. He wants the best you to be in the culture that's all around us. And he says, don't just live it however you want. God wants you to experience His best. He wants your relationships to work better. He wants your marriage to work better. He wants your business life to work better. He wants your relationship with your boss to be better. He wants your relationship with your employees to better. In every place, what does it say? He says, I want you to have a beautiful life. I want you to have a satisfying life. I want you to have a life that's perfect in God's eyes. He wants you to navigate through the brokenness, navigate through the disappointment, go through the injustice and the act of hostility. To towards you, and come out satisfying, beautiful, perfect in his eyes life. What an incredible opportunity. But before Paul goes into this whole chapter, which is addressing our relationships with each other, it's addressing our relationships with the people around us, it addresses our relationships with the people that are against us, but he starts with where everything in our relational world starts. The only thing that you can control is you. James 4 and 1 says, what's causing quarrel and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? Proverbs 4 and 23 says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. What's inside you determines what comes out of you. Every now and then, though, you meet somebody who's different. You know these ones, these are people who see the world differently. They're calm, nothing seems to shake them ever they're almost impossible to offend, and they listen much more than they talk. They love everybody, even their enemies. Their joy and peace is infectious. And when you encounter someone like that, you want to know, what is the secret sauce? Can I bottle it and sell it because I need to be like you are? That's the kind of people that Jesus needs for us to be. In Philippians 2, it says, live clean, innocent lives as children of God. Why? So that you will shine like bright lights in a world full of crook, crook Crooked and perverse people. In other words, in a world that's in chaos, in a world that's in darkness, in a world that's in all kinds of hell on earth relationally, live such a good life that people see there's a different way. There's a better way. Look the difference that Jesus makes in someone's life. It's not just that they have some they're going to heaven, but they are starting to live heaven on earth. They are saying that God's will, like Jesus said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. They're actually trying to live it out. What an incredible thing. But how is that even possible? Breakthroughs never happen without a battle. Breakthroughs never happen without a battle. You see, we live in two extremes in church culture. I've grown up in and been around. We live in, a, I'm just going to let God do it. That's the Gentile way that Paul was talking about at the beginning. Just, just, I just give my life to Jesus and I'm just going to let it happen. Or you go on the other side of people, who are, I'm going to work it. I'm going to work so hard. And they're false choices because you need both. You need an incredible faith in God, but you also need to be willing to do your part. And that's where Paul starts. He starts with, start surrendering your life. In verse 1, he says, beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercy? Surrender yourself to God. And the message translation says, take your everyday ordinary life. Not your church life, not your go-to-church life, but your everyday ordinary life. Your sleeping life, your eating life, your going to work life, your walking around life, and place it before God. And say, God, what do you want to do in my life? Surrender the leadership of your life to Jesus. Now, interesting, Paul is not speaking to people who don't know Jesus. He's speaking to people who have already, he's writing to a church, and he's saying, you need to resurrender your life. Because some of us make decisions to invite Jesus to be the leader of our life. We have faith, but we don't let him lead our life. We surrender and say, Lord, will you be my Savior? And we miss the part of letting him be our Lord. And this is where the place where life change begins to happen. It's empowered by this, but here's where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. And some people get so nervous and scared. If I give Jesus my whole life, something terrible is going to happen to my life. If I give him this piece, he's, he's... not for my good, but what does he want to have? What kind of a life? A satisfying life, a fulfilling life, a life that's perfect in his eyes. That's what he wants to do. But someone said they were really fearful about giving their life to the Lord and surrendering their leadership, and they felt, what do I do? And they felt like the devil was saying, don't do it. There's no knowing what God might do to you. And at first, this person says, there was some, I thought there was something to it. And then I remembered my daughter who was a little willful and loved her own way. This is not my daughter's, I'm just in case anybody's wondering. I thought to myself as I knelt, suppose she came to me and said, Dad, even though I've been willful, even though I've loved my own way, tonight I'm going to put my life in your hand. I knew what I would not say. I also knew what I would say to my wife. I would say something like, our child is going to follow our will from now on. I would not say... Call the mother and say, here's our chance to torment her. She's given her life now. Here's where we're going to get her. No, I'm going to say, you know what? We must take her from the things that are hurting her, but we will give her Everything that will make her life what God intends it to be. There are things she must give up. There are things that she must release. But we are going to help her, not because we want to torment her, but we actually want to help her so that she can step into what she always has intent, God has always intended her to be. So it starts with the place of surrender, and you can only surrender who you trust. And so God wants to deal with our hearts and say, will you trust me? When we surrender to the leadership and mercy of Jesus, a whole new life becomes possible. We are not prisoners of our past. It's possible to go farther than your parents or your background would indicate. It's possible to be free from your sexual dysfunction. It's possible for you to be free from your addiction. It's possible for your relationships to be better. It's possible for you to break out of bitterness that's held you captive. It's possible that you will not be limited by someone's betrayal of you. The hope and the truth of the gospel is that anyone can change. Jesus can take your desires and change them. Jesus can take your circumstances. And change them. Jesus can take what was intended to harm you and turn it around for your good. Jesus can take the rejection that stopped you and turn it into a redirection that enables you to go further. Jesus can take anything in your life that doesn't line up with His Word and say, I can change it, I can rearrange it, I can fix it, I can rearrange you, I can heal you, I can restore you, I can rebuild you. That's the power of the gospel. And it never stops. You don't just make a decision and say, that's it, but I need the power of the gospel continually so that I can become what God's called me to be, so I can become a better human. But change does not happen by magic. It doesn't happen instantaneously. Breakthroughs never happen without a battle. And in our culture, we don't like to battle. We don't like... We want things microwave. We want them instantly. If someone doesn't reply to your text within two minutes, you're like, what is wrong with them? Are they some kind of a terrible person? Like, they have not replied to me. They must not like me anymore. They've taken me off the friends list. They've removed me. They've blocked me. All the kind of things like that. We want microwaves to instant our food. But... The process of life change is just that. It's a process. It starts with surrender, and then it moves to a new place where you start with surrendering, and then you stop conforming. Where Paul says, stop imitating the ideals and the opinions of the culture around you. How can we change a culture if we're the same as a culture? How can a culture be changed if the people that God has tasked to change it are the same as the culture around it? And so when Paul is speaking, he's speaking to people who who are living in the midst of it. He's saying, guys, grow up. Guys, come on, take it up another level. And fitting in without even thinking. What does that mean? Galatians 5 and 19, here's what the culture looked like when Paul wrote to another church at the same time. The cravings of the self-life are obvious. Sexual immorality, lustful thoughts, pornography, chasing after things instead of God, manipulating people, hatred of those who get in your way, senseless arguments, resentment when others are favored, temper tantrums, angry quarrels, only thinking of yourself, being in love with your own opinion, being envious of the blessings of others, murder, uncontrolled addiction, wild parties, and other similar behavior. You're like, Craig, what are you talking about? This is not me. I bet you could find you on that list, and if not, ask the person who's close to you. They'll find you you on there somewhere. Some of you are like ticking a lot of things off right now in your mind. It's all right. But the gospel starts with start surrendering. Then it moves to stop conforming. And the call of the gospel is the call to holiness. The word confirmed has word pictures to it. And that word holiness, we get so messed up by it. But it simply means wholeness. Being put back into the place that God always intended for you. A beautiful life. A satisfying life. A life that's perfect in his eyes. He's not messing with you. He wants to make your life what he's always intended it to be. But don't be conformed. That word has, carries with it the meaning of schematics or blueprints that say this is the way your life should be. Paul says don't live by the schematics of the world. Don't build your life by the blueprints that the world says. Build a new way. Or another, way, another word picture is a mold that reshapes whatever is put into it or the mold pushes on something like a coin being pressed down where it was just a piece of metal, but then it, a mold goes on it and reshapes it. Don't allow that to happen to your life because breakthroughs never happen without a battle. But there's a process that happens when you stop conforming. 2 Timothy 2 and 22 says, Run as fast as you can from all the ambitions and lusts of youth. And not just youth. What that means, lusts of the immature. In other words, that's lots of us. Don't just say that's a kid problem. That's an immature problem. Run as fast as you can. Let us throw off everything that hinders and a sin that so easily entangles. Some of us want to change, but we don't want to do this. We want our lives to be better but we don't actually want to do this because this is where it gets a little hard. I start surrendering and then I got to stop conforming, but you have to make a determination in your heart that you're not you're going to get to these habits and you're not going to you're going to start thinking out of your life. There are sometimes that has to be a literal action where you remove yourself from situations, where you remove yourself from places, where you remove your attitude and your mind from wandering into different places. And there's almost a violence to this. Run. It's fast as you can. Let us throw off everything. Not like lay it aside. Throw it off. Get a little violent with your life. Make some choices to say, I'm not going to allow this thing in my life any longer. Run as fast as you can from that computer if porn is your problem. Run as fast as you can from bitterness and offense. Throw off every temper tantrum when you don't get your way. Throw off the sexual immorality. Run as fast as you can from your envy of other people. Run as fast as you can from a wild partying lifestyle. Everything that God is asking us to do to say, start surrendering and start, stop conforming is that because every breakthrough never, uh, only happens with a battle start surrendering, stop conforming. But let me tell you this, it's not by yourself, it's not by your power. Remember, we start right here, surrender my life to Jesus, and because I've done that, there's now a new power working within me, so I can stop conforming. That I, I don't have to fix everything in one moment by the leadership of Jesus. He begins to make my life brand new. Even though right here, I was declared right with God, and then I step into this, and God begins to make me holy in my mind, in my will, and my emotions. See, the Bible says that before you knew God, you were in a kingdom of darkness. But then in a moment when you said yes to Jesus and said Jesus I give you my life, it's you were translated or brought into a new kingdom. So you are in a new place but you are still thinking like you were in the old place. And so though your location and your position before God has changed, inside in your mind inside in your will, inside in your emotions, God is about a work of healing. God is about a work of restoration. God is about a word of setting you apart for an incredible purpose a beautiful life, a satisfaction Life, a life that's perfect in His eyes, and it never stops. And if you think you've arrived, you haven't arrived. As long as you're still on the earth breathing air, you're in need of this process of start surrendering, stop conforming, and keep renewing. Keep renewing. Be inwardly transformed. How? By the Holy Spirit. This is where it's not willpower alone. I start here and I make decisions, but I be transformed. I I no longer am conformed and I'm inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how I think. Everything being made new. Let God transform you, the new living says, into a new person by changing the way you think. The future of your life will be ultimately determined by the beliefs that you're cultivating inside your soul. The things that you meditate on, the things that you are thinking about, the things that you believe about yourself, the things that you believe about God, true or not, you make decisions based on your inner man. Proverbs 23 and 7 says, For as someone thinks in their heart, so are they. If you think you're a loser, you'll act like a loser. If you think you're rejected, you'll act rejected. If you think that no one loves you, you'll act like no one loves you. If you think that you are, there's no hope for you, you will live like there's no hope for you. If you believe the lie that you're an outsider, you will always feel like an outsider. But the truth of the word of God is, and that's what we're going to get to right now, renew your mind. Renew your mind. For as someone thinks in their heart, so are they. There's a woman by the name of Dr. Caroline Leaf who's a Christian, and she's done incredible research into how our brains work and how can heal themselves, all kinds of incredible things. But one of the things that she noted in her in their research, as we think, as we think, we actually change the physical structure of our brain. As we consciously direct our thinking, we can, and they can prove this in science. We can wire out. Toxic patterns of thinking and replace them with healthy thoughts. Because some of you think something like that. You don't even know. It's right there. Right there. And you're doing something and you're like, why am I doing that? It's right there. Because you've been wired your brain from repeated, 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 repeated ways. And then the Bible comes in and says, renew your mind. How, how, how is that even possible? The renewal of the power of the Word of God in Ephesians chapter, I think it's chapter 5, 26 and 27, that Jesus says that Jesus cleanses us through the washing of the water of the Word of God. See, it's one thing to get hyped by listening to some speaker on TV, great preacher. It's one thing to come to a worship service. But the transformation that you desire and need in your life is in moments when you open the Bible for yourself. And we are so illiterate about what the Bible says, and we miss the power that the Bible has for our lives. The, the Bible will speak to you, and I, th- I suspect that's often why we don't want to open it. Because the Bible will speak to us, but the Bible doesn't speak to condemn. The Bible speaks to restore. The Bible speaks to redirect. The Bible speaks to convict. The Bible does incredibly powerful things. Because the scriptures were not given for your information, they were given for your transformation. The Word of God, the Bible says, is quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides between your thoughts and God's thoughts. It it helps you to see things clearly. It it, it just is an incredibly powerful thing. And if you want to renew your mind and you're not in the the Word of God, you will not renew your mind. Your thinking will not change. But if you really want to change your, your, your thinking, start by getting into the Word of God and opening up your Bible. There's all kinds of apps. If, you, if you're a new Christian and you're like, oh, what, how would I do that? Well, you can get something like, it's called Version or the Bible app. There's all kinds of reading plans on there where you can do it. Ask somebody that uh, maybe you came to church with and say, I need to get into the Bible. Will you read it with me? And begin to allow the Word of God And Jesus is actually called the Word. And that's why we have things like hearing God. When you hear about a hearing God course or something like that, we teach you how to hear and recognize the voice of God because God wants to speak your life. He wants to direct your life. He wants to help your life in so many ways and renew your thinking. Because some of us grew up in ways that that if we heard your story, we would say, I understand why you are the way you are. But if any man be in Jesus, he's a new creature. So you've passed from death to life And suddenly, a new future is open for you. A new possibility is open for you. As you start surrendering, you stop conforming, and you keep renewing, something incredible can happen in your life. Ephesians 6. Sorry, the renewal of God's word, the renewal of meditation and prayer. You're like, what? Yes, meditation and prayer. Psalm 46 and 10 says, be still and know that I am God. Our culture, Canadian culture, Generally speaking, and just Christian culture, we don't like to stop. We think that more activity means better. It doesn't always mean better. Sometimes it's just more activity. Sometimes you're a hamster on a wheel, and you're just rolling, and you're more tired, and you're more discouraged, and you're more... Be still and know that I'm God. Sometimes you don't experience God's presence because you never are still. And meditate before... You say, Craig, what is meditation like? That sounds like some weird thing. If you worry, you already know how to meditate. The thing is, you're just meditating on the wrong things. You're rehearsing all the things that have either happened already and you can't change, or you're worrying about something that might happen and you can't change. You already know how to meditate, so that's why you need to get into the Word of God and begin to meditate on something that's a little better, a little healthier, a little stronger, you know how to meditate. Because when you stop at night and you're going to sleep, your mind is whirling with all kinds of worry. When you, But when you begin to put yourself in a place, say, God, I'm going to get in your word. I'm going to be a man of prayer, a woman of prayer. You know what? Something that's really helped my prayer life is a certain time in a certain place. When I try to... Oh, I'm praying throughout the day or when I've tried to, like, I'll do it at night or I'll do it in the morning. I'll do it when I have time. I never have time. But now, I get up earlier than I have ever gotten up. Not because I love getting up early in the morning. I do better than some people in my house. I will say that. <laughs> it's true. Not that better at praying, just better at getting up in the morning. But I get up and I have a certain time in a certain place and I've seen God do so much in my life in a certain time in a certain place. It's a habit of Jesus. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Places where there was no crowd, no, because it actually empowered him to live out being a better human, is by spending time with Jesus. Renewal of the word, renewal of prayer and meditation and the renewal of worship. It's great to have a morning of worship, 30 minutes of worship. We love it. It's powerful. But one of my great habits, and I think it's a habit of scripture, is worship. And what worship is, I, for me, I mean, you can sing your own song. Uh, I, I used to sing in the shower. I don't anymore because, again, some people are morning people, some people aren't. And so it's a dangerous thing. But, but I've learned how in good seasons and in bad seasons, seasons when I understand, seasons when I don't understand, seasons when I'm angry, seasons when I'm frustrated, Seasons when I'm hurting, I just have postured my life to say I'm going to worship and God renew my mind. The Bible has a word; it says that Psalm I think it's 22 and 3 says that God's enthroned or His presence is established in the praises of His people. When you begin to praise Jesus, when you begin to do that, there's a spiritual thing where you open a almost like it's not that God never was there; it's just that you've opened up a new place of la- allowing His presence to come into your life. Ephesians 6 says this: Be supernaturally infused. With strength through your life union with the Lord Jesus. Some of us need some strength. We we need to start surrendering, stop conforming, and keep renewing. And this is what happens supernaturally infused with strength through your life union with the Lord Jesus. Stand victorious with the force of his explosive power. Explosive power flowing in you and flowing through you. Flowing in you and through you. And Paul uses the word transform to describe that breakthrough, because breakthroughs never happen without a battle. And at the end, there is a breakthrough, though, and it's the word transform. It describes an internal change with an external reality. It's the same word, metamorphosis, that describes the change of a caterpillar to a butterfly. We're a burly, slow-moving, dull-colored, and earthbound caterpillar is transformed through an incredible process to a beautiful, colorful, delicate, airborne butterfly. Incredible. Or a tadpole that changes to a frog where God created another animal that changes dramatically. It's an underwater organism that becomes an air-breathing frog. It transcends from a speedy swimmer to an animal with disproportionately strong big legs that can really hop on land. But that's God's, a picture of God's will for your life, that you would be transformed. That because of Jesus, because you started surrendering, you stopped conforming, and you keep renewing, people look at your life a year from now and they're like, something's changed in your life. Don't get me wrong, you're not perfect yet, but you've come a long way. And I think God would say that for many of you. You've, you've come a lot farther than you think you have. Some of us live under condemnation so much that that we don't believe that God ever sees us in any kind of light other than disapproving. Can I just tell you this morning that Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world? That his whole heart motivation was love. His whole heart motivation for everything that he does in your life is because he absolutely, desperately loves you. And he wants you to have a beautiful life. He wants you to have a satisfying life. He wants you to have a life that's absolutely perfect in His eyes. And no matter where you've been, no matter what you've gone through, He he actually believes that He can help you to become a better human and see your life absolutely transformed. I don't know your story, but Jesus is, and I know the power of the gospel. I hear stories every week about people's lives that are being transformed. When they start surrendering their life to Jesus, when they Stop conforming to the patterns of the world and keep renewing on the inside. I invite you to stand. God's will for your life, beautiful, satisfying, perfect. Galatians 5 and 22 says this. This is what it looks like to have that kind of a life. But the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit, it's a God thing, within you as you cooperate with Him, is divine love in all its varied expressions. Joy that overflows. Peace that subdues, patience that endures, kindness in action, a life full of virtue, faith that prevails, gentleness of heart, and strength of spirit. Imagine how different your home would be if the process of transformation was actively underway. Imagine what your home would look like if those words were spoken over it, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Think of your workplace. If you walked in as the person setting the temperature instead of allowing the workplace to set your temperature. Instead of quitting when things get tough, you have a patience that endures. It changes everything because suddenly in all your relational world, You're not a victim to what's going on around you. You're coming in and saying, it's God who works in me to will and to do according to his good pleasure. He's working in my life to make it satisfying, to make it beautiful, to make it perfect in his eyes. I absolutely, desperately need Jesus. Some of you need to start surrendering. It's the first step. Some of you have never made a decision for Jesus Christ. And you say, I want a life that only Jesus can do. And I need to surrender my life for the very first time and give my life to Jesus and say, Jesus, forgive my sin. Become the leader of my life. But I want to start the journey, the process of transformation with you. Some of you have walked, you've made Jesus the leader of your life or the forgiver of your life, but you need to, when I read through that list, you realize there's some things that I need to surrender to Jesus. Things that are hurting you, that are hurting your family, that are hurting your future. Some of us need to Stop conforming in some of those things. Surrender afresh to Jesus. And we're going to take a moment where we might need to repent of conforming and start running as fast as we can. Start throwing off some things. and but There's a big list of things there. But I suspect that Holy Spirit is speaking to you about one thing. Because He wants to help you one thing at a time, one step at a time. It's not overwhelming. Start surrendering stop conforming and say, Jesus, I need help in this area. Or maybe you're somebody who recognizes I, I'm not, I need to renew myself on the inside. I need to get in the word a little bit more than I have. I need to start being regular in the word. I need to get a Bible app. I need to join a group. I need to ask Jesus to speak to me. Three different, three different responses to three different things. I ask you to, we're going to respond because I believe it's important when God speaks to you that you respond and give him your yes or your no. It's up to you. But I believe that God has been speaking to people in this room about today is your day to surrender your life to Jesus for the very first time. Can I invite you to bow your head and close your eyes to give privacy to the people around you. In a moment, I'm going to ask you, if that's you, to raise your hand real high. And I'm not going to embarrass you or ask you to come to the front or anything like that, but I'm going to pray for you and we're going to ask Jesus to begin a work of transformation good old Bible word sanctification or or justification I should say where you've been declared right with God in one moment you've passed from death to life you've passed from darkness to light into the kingdom of his dear son if you know that today is your day to surrender your life to Jesus just very quickly with every head bowed and every eye closed around just raise your hand real quick my left your right I'm I'm going to pray with you Straight in the middle. Anyone? On my right, your left. All right. Maybe you're here and you're on the second part of that where it's time to stop conforming. You recognize as I read through a list that you felt the conviction of Jesus. And you say, Pastor, I want to agree with Jesus to stop conforming to the pattern of this world. If that's you, just raise your hand real quick. Come on. Come on. Don't Don't resist stop conforming it's a call to wholeness come on put your hands up this is between you and jesus yeah hands up all over the room take a moment jesus where in my life do i need to stop conforming or do i need to take another step forward hands all over the room and finally if you if it's your day to keep renewing your mind you're a follower of jesus but you have you need to renew your mind and change your way of thinking on the inside. If that's you, through the power of the word, through the power of prayer, through the power of worship, whatever it is, just raise your hand real quick. I'm going to agree with you. Yeah, yeah. It's all over. Father, thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you for people who are making a decision to follow Jesus today. Father, I pray, Lord, and and if you raise your hand for that, just agree with me as I pray and pray this in your heart. Jesus. I ask that you would forgive my sins. I ask that you would come and be the leader of my life. I believe that you died, buried, and have risen again to save my life. I give my life to you. I repent. I surrender. And if you're in that second category of stop conforming, Lord, I pray that right now, in the name of Jesus, Lord, every influence in the spirit realm that is around it, Lord, we would break the influence. Lord, I pray for people that they would have courage to connect with someone and confess, to say, here's what I need. I need the help of heaven. And Jesus, that you would do exceedingly abundantly break habits, break addictions, break, Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit right now, release your kingdom power in this room, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for re- thank you, Lord, for deliverance happening right now, Lord. Thank you for people taking steps, Lord, and Lord for people all around this room that put their hand up and said, "I need to re- be renewed from the inside." Lord, thank you that as they take time before you in your Word, as they take, Lord, I pray you would cause your Word to come alive. I pray you would transform from the inside out. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen and amen.